Thanks for listening to the Movement Church Podcast. Movement is located in Newport, Kentucky, and you're always welcome to join us on a Sunday morning at 1030. Hope you enjoy this podcast. Uh, as we move forward, but today we're kicking off the series by asking this, is God legalistic or gracious? Is God legalistic or gracious? Before we dive in, a couple things that we need to kind of define and kind of get our heads around. When we're going to be talking about God in the Old Testament context, we're going to use the name that appears over and over and over again in the Hebrew. We see people talking about God as Father, as God as God, or the Lord, but what is translated as the Lord, often in our English Bibles, is the Hebrew word Yahweh. And Yahweh is an interesting term because it's kind of, it's a bad kind of analogy, but it's pretty close to what we can do with it. It's almost like God's first name. It's a very personal name. It's a very intimate name. And so when God is talking to his people, and they're referring to him as the Lord in our English translations, oftentimes is the word Yahweh, okay? It's the word Yahweh. So God desires this intimacy with his his people. So during this series, when we talk about the God of the Old Testament, I think it's important that we talk about Yahweh, because that's how the people who are first hearing these commandments, the people who are first gathering, trying to work out what it meant to be in this new community, were doing. That's how they were kind of piecing things together. So that first question, is Yahweh legalistic or gracious? With so many commands that seem obscure, they're demanding, that that these these things that are given to us that we have to conclude that, man, it seems like Yahweh is legalistic. Now, legalism is a belief that we can earn or keep favor, right? Legalism, for all of its negatives, it has some plus sides because you know where you stand, Legalism has some some bonuses because you know where you stand. It's this idea that if I follow all the rules, then I'm good, then I'm accepted, then I'm loved, then I'm forgiven. This is something that we do all the time. If you're watching a basketball game, or later today you're watching football games, they're not going to stop the game and say great pass, great block, great tackle. The referees are only going to stop the game if something goes wrong. That's a form of legalism, right? That's kind of how that works. But I think there's so many reasons why we think that God, that Yahweh is legalistic. I want to look at three of them real quick. Reason number one, there are so many commands. You look through the Bible, there are so many commands. You might conclude that the Old Testament contains all these laws, some which are incredibly random and out of context. There are laws about what to eat, what to wear, how to worship, how to build things, and so on. It can seem that there are too many laws. But, of course, we have a lot of laws as well. Some are easier to follow than others. First day of school, a couple weeks ago, you're driving along, and all of a sudden, those flashing yellow lights, the 25 school zone, that was a little tough that first day of school. You forgot, oh, yeah, i got to slow down. But the Old Testament contains so many laws because the people of Israel needed a legal system to establish some order, to establish a healthy and just society. They were starting from scratch. So it makes sense that Yahweh, this personal, this loving God, would give them laws that are for their betterment. But of course, there are some of these laws we read thousands of years after they were first written down or first communicated orally that we think, what in the world is this? Growing up, I used to, my family used to get a subscription to Sports Illustrated. Love reading Sports Illustrated, right? But something happened the second issue of February every year. Every year, the second issue of February disappeared. It disappeared. Now, you may know this, some of you are laughing, that's the swimsuit edition. And my mom was not going to have that in the house, right? So that's something she did. Now, if you read my sermon notes in a 3,000 years, 
And it said that you have to throw away the second edition of this magazine called Sports Illustrated because of this. It's not going to make any sense contextually, right? And so there's some challenges that we face trying to understand so many of these commands, okay? So many of these commandments. Reason number two that I think people can come to the conclusion that God is legalistic. There are so many restrictive commands, Yet another reason there is that I think people see as God is limiting, as this kind of bully cop, as this one that's kind of make sure that if there's anything wrong, that he's going to attack us. All the way back in the Garden of Eden, at the beginning of this story, the story is told that in this poem that the serpent comes to the woman and asks, did God really say you must not eat from the tree in the garden? He's kind of introducing this doubt, this seed of, of confusion in her. She is going to be questioning God's goodness. Maybe Yahweh doesn't have her best interest in mind. Maybe he's holding out on her. This temptation will come up, will always be this idea that the goodness of Yahweh's commands will come into question when we think about how they're so restrictive. Like Adam and Eve, we'll see that we don't recognize the consequences of our sins until they're too late. Yet Yahweh's commands might place some restrictions on our lives. But Yahweh isn't out to spoil our fun. In fact, it's quite the opposite. He's not legalistic. Reason number three is that you may have experienced this. It has nothing to do with the Bible. It has nothing to do with, with reading scripture. It's because there are so many legalistic Christians that we encounter. There's so many people that have established these extra biblical rules that we have to follow. Now, some of these rules are wise. Fully agree. I know some people that would say, I am never going to drink alcohol in public. Not because that person has an issue with alcohol addiction or sees drinking as a sin, but they just kind of do this blanket statement, I'm never going to do that in public. There's some wisdom there. There is. Or maybe for you, you've come across this where people say, I'm not going to watch any R-rated movies, right? And that's a good, that could be a good rule for you personally, right? But once we start extending it to other people and kind of impressing on them, then we can all of a sudden get legalistic. So legalism is believing that I can earn my way into God's good graces. I can earn my way to heaven by doing good deeds. Legalism is trying to be right with God by paying him back for all the good things he's done for us. Legalism could be thinking God loves me more than other people because I do a better job obeying his laws. It could be our distorted views of Yahweh and his commands that lead people to think he is legalistic when in fact he is not. Understand this. Yahweh is good. There is a goodness in Yahweh's commands. It is Yahweh's goodness that forms the basis of his commands. He wants us to flourish and enjoy both his presence and his creation. Very first command of the Bible. The very first command of the Bible. God goes to Adam and Eve and he tells them explicitly. Genesis 1 verse 28. He says, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. You're a smart crowd. You're a smart group of people. How are you going to be fruitful and multiply? God told Adam and Eve to do their married thing. Okay? He's explicit about this. He says, don't just do it once. He says, do it often. Produce lots of kids. A lot of you are now focused back in on the message. Maybe you're going to send me an angry email in the morning, but that's fine. This is what we see. We see God saying, be fruitful and multiply. The first command here. Is that God is saying, go and be with your wife, be with your husband, and produce children. Maybe that first command was a fluke. So let's look at the second one in Genesis chapter 2. He says, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, 
but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So he starts off with, get to know your wife, get to know your husband real well, in the biblical sense. And then he says, eat as much as you want from all these trees except this one. So if you think about this, that the Bible starts, God's relationship with us, Yahweh's relationship with us, starts with this incredible gifting, incredible graciousness, incredible goodness. These are the commands that God gives us. They're not restrictive. They're freeing. They're not, they're not you know, draconian and evil. No, they're beautiful. All, all kidding aside, what I want to see here is that from Yahweh's commands, they've always been rooted in this idea of the goodness of his character. Yahweh's goodness is the foundation of every one of his laws. And every time he comes across one of his commands, we should view that command through the lens of Yahweh's goodness. We should view every one of these commands through the lens of Yahweh's goodness. So if we look at the Ten Commandments, the Ten Commandments, the most well-known, and people put these up on monuments and statues, and, and kids will memorize these when they're kids. Like, this is something I did in Sunday school growing up. The Ten Commandments. What if we looked at the Ten Commandments as a possibility statement? That, that maybe it would be better, and I don't think it detracts from the truth of it, maybe it would be better to say, imagine if we did this, what would happen? You know, so often, the Ten Commandments are kind of said, don't do this, don't do that. But what would happen if we followed them? Would we flourish? So Exodus chapter 20, verses 3 and 4. You know, imagine if you had intimate relationship with God, with Yahweh, and only Yahweh, the one true God. No more idols and all the things that go with that, but a living relationship with the one who made all of this. Verse 8. Imagine if you lived in a way where true rest is possible. Where rather than run ragged, you enjoyed a serenity of heart and mind. Verse 12. Imagine if you loved, or excuse me, if you lived in a way that you quickly and easily gave honor to your mother and father because of your love and respect for them. Imagine experiencing peace in your home. Verse 15. Imagine if you lived with no desire to take anything that doesn't belong to you because ultimately you don't need it anyway. Verse 16, imagine if you lived with no need to tear people down with your words or your actions. And finally there in verse 17, imagine if you lived with no desire to have someone else's life or stuff. Imagine feeling content. Now is that legalistic? When I think about God's commands, there are things that are beyond our understanding because it's God and God can do whatever he wants. But it's also a difficult times because this is outside of our context. This is an ancient culture, this is a different language, all that stuff. But at the heart of it is this idea, well, if God is good, if Yahweh is good, then all of these have to be for our betterment. You know, parents, you have rules for your kids, right? I tell my kids when they're riding their bikes, don't go in the street. Don't go further than, than this point. Make sure I can always see you. As parents, we've got to put some walls up, right? In our lives, we need guardrails on the road of our life. And those guardrails are there, and they are restrictive. But if the guardrails weren't there and you went off, you're in the ditch. And so you go from body work to a total car. That We need those guardrails. And if we believe that God's goodness is true that Yahweh's commands are meant to establish this fence, this fence that is based in God's 
loving goodness. Yahweh himself shares the, this perspective of his commands. Listen to what he says to the people of God as they're about to get the payoff of their exodus, of leaving Egypt. There in Deuteronomy, is kind of speaking to the people as they're about to go into the promised land. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 16, God says this, Yahweh says this, For I command you this day to love the Lord your God and to keep his commands, decrees, and regulations by walking in his ways. If you do this, you will live and multiply. And the Lord your God will bless you and the land you're about to enter and occupy. God tells his people that if they follow his command, they will experience blessing. The next verse, verse 17, he says, But if your heart turns away and you refuse to listen, if you're drawn away to serve and worship other gods, then I warn you now that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live a long and good life in the land you are crossing the Jordan to occupy. There are consequences. If God is giving us commands that are in our best interest, if we don't follow them, then of course there will be consequences. And I think we can get into the semantics here, like, well, is God punishing us, or is this just a result of our actions? And I think the more important thing to do is to say, well, God is giving us a good command. God loves us. Yahweh wants to be close to us, and he gives us a gracious command. Well, maybe we should live into that. Verse 19, Yahweh says, today I've given you the choice between life and death, between blessing and curses. Now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. Oh, that you would choose life so that you and your descendants might live. Ultimately, we are given a choice here. We are given an opportunity to respond one way or another. I think God, I think Yahweh longs for us to experience his goodness and lead us into a life that flourishes. So here's the challenge I have for you. The challenge I have for you is to change how you view these commands. And that's a difficult thing. Because some of these commands are odd and archaic and out of context, they don't make sense. We read these, we say, I don't know what to do with this. I don't know why I can't wear a shirt made of two different types of fabric. I I really don't know. But I'm sure there was a reason, and a good reason at the time. I, I don't know why you can't cook a goat in its mother's milk, but I think it has something to do with idolatry and sacrifices that are not to God. And so in that moment, I think God has, his goodness is showing up and showing through. And so I want to challenge us to begin to think about the commands that God gives us in that light, in that light of saying, where's the goodness behind this? Where is the goodness behind this? If I do this, how will my life be better? And I believe through prayer and through study and through sitting with it and through just faith, we will find that goodness. I do. Because what we do is we have this point where we say, well, is God legalistic? Like he's got all these rules. What is that about? Well, maybe he needed rules because he's starting with a bunch of people that are really hard to take care of and get them in line. It's like herding cats and all that. And he says, well, we got to give them some rules. And they'll be for their benefit, and this is what they want, so they'll, they'll write them down. It's not my best option, but this is where they are right now, and so I'm going to meet them there. Because that's what God always does. God doesn't wait for you to clean everything up. God doesn't wait for you to have everything figured out before he shows up in your life. God doesn't wait for you to come to this place where you say, you know what, I have now figured it all out. Some of the challenges that we read in Scripture, we read in Hebrews 13, this command to keep the marriage bed pure. Sometimes it's seen as so restrictive and 
Why would God be against that? Well, maybe God wants intimacy in a profound way. Jesus teaches us to love our enemies. Why? That's ridiculous. This is impossible. How could you love your enemies? Perhaps Jesus is saying there's a better way forward than just revenge and that cycle of retribution. We read these commands and we think to ourselves, how am I going to make sense of this? We were talking about generosity a few months back. We talked about that verse in Malachi where the prophet says, bring the whole storehouse Bring, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Bring all of your offerings to God. And sometimes that gets twisted and saying, if you do this, God will bless you financially. And that's a load of junk. What this is about, what that verse is about, is this idea of contentment, this idea of understanding that it all belongs to God to begin with. Imagine the kind of transformation that might happen if you begin to see that God is not against you, but that God is for you. I realize this is difficult. I think for some of us, I know I've done this, I've spent my whole life, I'll have times where I'll look at someone and say, what they're doing, that's wrong. You're not supposed to do that. And what I've done, I've kind of embraced that legalism over and over again, but Yahweh's message is one full of grace and that longs for you and I to flourish. So how does this change your view of Yahweh? How does this change the view of yourself? The psalmist, this poetry writer, this lyric writer says this in psalm 119 he says oh how i love your law i meditate on it all day long he loves the law because he's just a scholar he loves the law because he sees the goodness in it he sees the value in it he sees the ways in which that points him forward to something better his motivation stems from love Following God's law meant he was going to experience a deeper and ever-deepening, more intimate relationship with God. Love is always the supreme motivating factor. It's true with God's love for us and our love for God. This is what begins, this is what changes us. A command born out of love precedes a response of obedience when that love is realized. Not fear of legal or legalism, but goodness and love. And God's goodness and love from the foundation of his commands and they also formed the foundation of our relationship with him. Even though those commands were for our flourishing, we have taken them and twisted them, and we couldn't keep them. No one could keep them all. The one who did was this man named Jesus. This man named Jesus broke no law, honored everyone. Jesus stands as the only person to keep all the commands, yet he still suffered punishment. He suffered on the cross that you and I, who didn't have that perfect record, that you and I didn't have to go through what he did. We didn't keep the commands, but we could have a relationship with God. The Apostle Paul writes to the church in Galatia. He says, He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles, and that's you and I, through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. What we see is that by the act of Jesus, the goodness of all those laws is transferred to us. And of course we don't earn it. Of course we don't deserve it. It's transferred to us. It's given to us. And so the question is, what are you going to do with it? The question is, what are you going to do with it? I don't care how, how often you go to church or how long you've been following Jesus. I think there's a, there's a daily, moment-by-moment chance for us to say Yes. So I don't know what that looks like for you. Maybe you track things back. You think about your story. You said, 
Well, I prayed a prayer of acceptance of faith at this age, and that's when I became a follower of Jesus. That's great. That's beautiful. Or, or I was baptized at this age, and I was baptized as an adult or as a conscious individual, and so I kind of made that decision on my own. That's great. I went through confirmation. I learned all these things. What a beautiful thing. Wherever you are with that, understand that, that we are all given this chance. Not so that we can re-earn God's love. That's already given to us. But so that we can step into God's goodness. We can step into what God wants for us. So here in a moment, we're going to do something that we do every week at Movement Church, and its act itself is a way of saying yes. We take communion. The table's in the front. There's a gluten-free option over there. And what we do is we take bread and we dip in the juice and we eat it. And we recreate that last supper and we symbolically celebrate the sacrifice of Jesus. And so by doing so, we are saying with our actions, yes. Yes to Jesus. And if you're a follower of Jesus, whether you just became one or you were somebody who's been doing this for a long time, that table is open to you. And so as the band is going to come up after I'm done praying here, and they're going to lead us in a song. And then we're going to have an opportunity to respond. Let's, let's pray. God, thank you so much for uh, this truth. That the hope that we have comes from the fact that...